the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffle Podcast, Episode 13. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hey, Sandra. Good morning, Sandy. (laughs) Start over, please. And cut. I'm editing it. Okay, ready? (laughs) Okay, and now I'm ready. (laughs) Good morning, Sandra. Good morning, Tammy. How the heck are you? I am still sick. I've been sick for two weeks now, so whatever. It's boring. Being sick (laughs) is boring is what I can say about being sick. It's completely and utterly boring. I hate it when people talk about being sick, but Mm. yet here I am sick, (laughs) and it is a thing I've have no I'm just not a hundred percent I'm just not but I I hate it when you're sick too we're still having to muddle through Mm -hmm. yeah how are you I'm not sick uh I am I'm good my son um he headed off to Alaska on Sunday to uh go to a fine arts camp yeah and I thought I was going to be really bummed out and I joked like I was excited he was going away um, um, because I was kind of fed up with eighth grade and end of the year and attitude and all that. But he um, he was really a little bit nervous about going. And, oh, I uh, bet. And it's I, a long time. Yeah, and he's never flown by himself. And so the logistics of that um, were weighing on his mind and a big connection in Seattle. And we had just given him a cell phone and a cell phone plan on the last day of eighth grade. And mm-hmm. it was, I have to say, so happy that he has it because we could stay oh, connected. Yeah. Didn't realize how nice that was going to be. So he kind of, yeah. you know, he texted us when he got to his gate. He m- met a friend that was going to the camp, same camp as him. So they hung out during the layover. I mean, it couldn't, oh, have, couldn't have been oh, more perfect. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And um, he went up there to play trumpet and do Shakespeare. And they're doing Julius Caesar, he just told us last night. And, wow. Um, yeah, I know, and painting, and so, yeah, he's off, and I thought, I was telling my husband this morning, there's like a a part of me that when I was, when I was kind of drinking, and like everything was drama, and I was going to miss him, or I would have been really torn apart about him leaving, and then I would have just planned on drinking the whole time he was gone, right? Oh, do yeah. This. <laughs> All bets are off. <laughs> and now I'm like, okay. What am I going to write? What am I going to read while he's gone? We're going to have some people over for dinner. Um, just a kind of a flip, you know, the switch has been flipped and uh, mm-hmm. that feels good. It feels good. So. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. I still would be a nervous wreck though about my kid taking his first flight because he hasn't done that yet. But yeah. I'm glad that it, you're feeling calm about it. Today I am. 
<laughs> we just started this. It's he'll be gone for t- for two whole weeks. So yeah, uh, but yeah, today feels today feels good. Today feels very exciting. Yeah, we're doing our interview today. Yeah, and Sandy Sandy Ford is her name, and uh, we came to know her through a secret Facebook page from the Home Podcast, and um, right. got to get a glimpse into her, who she is and her writing, and she's always intrigued me. Um, yeah, even just her uh, comments on random threads, I've always enjoyed reading. I always love it when she pipes into this um, Facebook group because she, I love how she articulates herself. Yeah, she's a good writer. She's and, a very good writer. And I think that everyone's going to love the interview. We touched on a lot of a lot of things that I think are that people are going to really enjoy. Um, she, as a way of background, she um, is an attorney and lives in Chicago, and she practices uh, commercial litigation uh, and is a pro bono immigration practice that she also has, and that she's very very passionate about. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I like learning that about her. And then she also writes a blog called, what is it called, Sandra? (laughs) Sobermormon.com. Not Sober Mom. Sober Mormon, which there's probably a Sober Mom, and I'm sure it's a lovely blog, but this Sandy's the sober Mormon.com. And yeah, and she talks about um, navigating the ins and outs of Mormonism and addiction recovery, which is so such an interesting and complex um, uh, relationship, I'm sure. Uh, That's what I when I found out she was Mormon, I was like drawn to her. Um, because you don't hear about many Mormons that are in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't, you don't hear about that at all. I haven't heard about it. She's the only one. So I hope that our listeners can right. find some, um, find some gems with what she shares about that path and, and can go read her excellent writing over on her blog. Yes. Uh, she's a great writer. She, um, so when I do my ray of light series on my blog, I feature a woman who's in recovery and who is shining a little brighter in recovery. And I do some artwork around that. I, I don't write this series. I, I write some basic questions. And then I send that in a via, uh, you know, via email to uh, my interviewee. And then they write whatever they want. And uh, her interview is just so full of beautiful, beautiful pieces of advice, her story. And um, she's um, the ray of light number 23 on my blog, if anybody wants to check it out at TammySolace.com. And I just, that whole interview, I wanted to hug it when it was over. I was like, wow, she dug deep and really gave an excellent, excellent, Mm -hmm. um, shared herself so much with my readers. And I really appreciated that. So I was excited to have her on the show. Yeah, it was very, it was a very good interview. Yep. So we'll get to it then. Yeah. Stay tuned for our interview with Sandy Ford. Hey, Sandy. Hello, Tammy. Hello, Sandra. Hi, guys. We're doing an interview. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be your guinea pig. Oh, yeah. We're so happy to have you. Yeah. Um, Well, let's just jump right in. Um, So for our listeners, I was going to ask you, what was your path um, to recovery? 
you know, my path to recovery, uh, it's a, it's a little bit of a convoluted one. Um, so I, the, the short version, um, well, what are you looking for? Are you looking for like a, a quick summary or? Yeah. I mean, like I, 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 from the research, it looks like now. Yeah. From the research that I did, maybe a little bit what it's like, you know, kind of in the rooms mm-hmm. to do what it was like, um, uh, what happened and what it's like now, but maybe just to condense so people can gauge how long you've been in recovery. I know you didn't go straight into the room. So, um, maybe just a tiny little summary of, of how you got on your path. Absolutely. So I, um, you know, it was, I have a little bit of an unusual story, uh, in that I struggled with, um, substances pretty much since day one and, um, knew I had a problem since, since day one, since I started drinking, um, and using drugs when I was a teenager. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people say that they knew that their relationship with alcohol was different than other people, or they knew that they really, you know, loved it. But, you know, I figured out pretty early on that, um, I actually needed to, um, needed to stop and really struggled with, you know, through my teens and twenties of, you know, going back and forth, um, you know, drinking too much, trying not to drink, you know, long dry periods and then go off the rails. And, uh, you know, eventually, um, was led to, uh, so led to, to recovery. So I think, um, in 2014, I'd say as when I started on the path, I had kind of a spiritual experience where I, you know, I, I, realized, you know, it's the drinking. I need to quit the drinking. Um, I went without alcohol for about nine months. Um, and then, you know, went back, um, off and on, uh, really struggling for about a year until, um, you know, my sobriety date is January 30th, 2016. So I have not had a drink or a drug, um, for about one year and almost five months, which is, um, you know, even with all the dry periods earlier in my life, that's by far the longest I've ever gone without alcohol. Um, so I'm pretty proud of it. Aww, you should I be. That, that, excuse me, I'm going to go back just a minute, Sandy. I think it's so interesting that you were aware that it was a problem when you were a teenager or even a young adult. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever, um, because I always compared myself to everyone I was around, and everyone drank like me. So I never, even though I felt like I suffered a little bit more internally, I never thought, I always thought, well, it's obviously not a problem. Everyone is carrying on. And um, I just think that's so interesting that you, that you were aware that there was a problem. Well, I certainly think um, my, so I grew up Mormon um, and that definitely had something to do with it because you felt like I, you were violating the rules of your well, religion. A little bit. Yes, I will. I definitely was and I'm <laughs> okay with that, but it was more of, there were a lot of people in my life who didn't drink. Um, you know, my immediate, you know, my parents didn't drink, my siblings didn't drink. Um, so I knew, you know, what life looked like without alcohol and part of me wanted that but I couldn't do it like I kept trying to kick it um you know for my family and for my religion and just could not figure that out and there was like a part of me that knew that that wasn't normal yet that if, there, if right. I wanted to stop so much like why couldn't I stop you couldn't just simply walk away and mm-hmm. put it down or 
successfully moderate like we all tried to do. Right. Well, so, so to the fact of being Mormon, was your whole family, like your mom or dad's side Mormon, or was it just your immediate family? Um, it's, so my dad was a convert to the church. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he joined the church when he was 17 and he, I like to say, um, that he's, he's probably one of us. Um, Mm -hmm. but he, he really escaped, uh, that life, um, by joining the church. You know, when the missionaries found him, he was high on a beach. Mm -hmm. Uh, he likes to tell us. So, interesting. they took him to the church and he just changed his whole life. That was his recovery program more or less. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. Um, and then my mom's family, they were, they're members of the church going back pretty far, but, um, so it was around yeah. you. You were steeped it in it. It was around, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've shared on here that I, I'm Mormon. I guess that's the last thing I've been baptized. I get baptized a, a little oh, bit. Oh, so you still um, do you ever resign? <laughs> no, I'm hiding. No. <laughs> so when I, my mom's family is Mormon. Um, my immediate family is not Mormon. Um, my dad is Catholic. My mom um, is Mormon and I constantly wanted to belong to something. And so when I became familiar with you and, um, and, and read that you were an attorney, I was a former legal secretary. You're Mormon. I'm Mormon. Um, I really was like, Oh, I want to know more about her story. I want to chat with her because not drinking is a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's a big deal for a lot of religions, but it's like, it's kind of a really big deal to be Mormon and to drink. Right. Yes, it is. And I'm, I'm glad it's nice actually to, to know that you appreciate that um, <laughs> because it's something so, so I used to, when I was in college, you know, I'd go to parties and I'd, I'd drink too much. And, you know, one of, I couldn't stop talking about my Mormonism. I'd be like, you don't understand. This is a big deal deal for me. And people, you know, they didn't get it. Right. 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 And I was, um, it's funny when I, when I got sober, I don't know if it's going to be funny to my grandma, but I don't think she's listening, (laughs) but, um, she had given me on the night I got baptized. I shared recently, I went to a bar. So I was, I thought that was fascinating. 19, maybe 18, 19. And I didn't drink and I was such a goody goody, you know? And I was like, all Mormoned out. I was like, um, but I felt like I, I just wanted to go dance, you know, what's the harm? Um, but my grandma gave me a really beautiful, I don't know what it's called. Help me. Um, I'm holding one here cause I picked one up from a thrift store, but it's the three books, the book of Mormon, the D- doctrine oh, and covenants and the pearl of great price. The Triple combination. Yeah. The triple combination, big, huge book, right. That you carry. That's yeah, like, you, it's like a big, huge brick. And, um, when I got sober, I burned that. I, um, I I know, right. (laughs) So I, um, had my name engraved on the front and I feel differently about that now. But at the time when I, when I first got sober, I was shedding all of these things. And that was one of the things I wanted to shed was, um, a lot of what those Mm -hmm. principles and practices and the things that I, um, heard, uh, I wanted to shed that I wanted, that was the old me. Um, but recently I went to a thrift store and found Danielle's, uh, book of Mormon and doctrine and covenants and Pearl of great price. And I bought it for a buck 
And um, it looked like failing coal gave it to her, and it must have been her daughter. Um, and it became beautiful to me again. And I haven't read it, but in, in um, doing a little research on you, I looked up the Doctrine and Covenants about um, drinking, about the word of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I just had to remind myself what that was, you know, and uh, that it is basically the law that for your physical and spiritual health, right? It's to kind of keep mm-hmm. us, um, our bodies as a temple. And how do you, so I, I don't even know how to phrase this. Like, how do you, knowing this, growing up with these teachings, like how did you reconcile when you were drinking um, and using drugs? Like you must've been terribly conflicted. Um, that is a great question. Um, well, first of all, I, I want to say, I think Danielle is is not as dramatic as we are because she did not burn her. (laughs) (laughs) She just donated it to the thrift. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, you know, so the, in the, in the early years, there was really no, no guilt at all. And I sometimes puzzle over why that is. And I think it's just because my, my love of, um, substances was just so great. Like I just loved it. Um, didn't even think to feel guilty about it. Um, although I do know I definitely, I must've felt some guilt because I would still, I would still go to church and I would hide the fact, um, that I was drinking, um, from people at church and, you know, through college, uh, I would, you know, I would go to church hungover. I would go to church high. Um, like that just seemed okay. (laughs) A way for you to be a rebel kind of, um, I think maybe there's a, I think there's a big, I wanted to be a good girl and, you know, I relate to being a rule follower. I think I have, you know, those two parts of my personality. Like I wanted to rebel in some ways. I also wanted to, um, I also wanted to follow rules. You know, I really just think I was like addicted very, very quickly, Mm -hmm. um, very quickly and didn't even, couldn't even consider the possibility of, you know, stopping, Um, and then it was a few, after a few years of that, when I decided I wanted to, you know, go back to the church for real. Um, and, you know, I realized I, I need that it was hurting me. They, you know, drugs and alcohol, they, you don't use them, um, and abuse them for very long before consequences start to pile up. And I had consequences and I realized I needed to get it out of my life. Um, you know, and at that point the guilt did creep in. And this is where, (laughs) this is what alcoholism looks like when you're a Mormon. So that doctrine and covenants that you um, referenced, Tammy, it's a little bit, it's like archaic language. But one thing that you might notice is that it, it's not very clear about what's forbidden. Um, So I think it says like strong drinks Mm -hmm. or liquors. Um, And then there's another part that says that you know, barley, um, is good for the belly. So mm-hmm. oh, there were some workarounds. Of, yeah. So <laughs> even though like by far, like the, you know, 99.9% of modern Mormons would say that the word of wisdom prohibits, you know, beer, wine, liquor, you know, anything. Um, I, I was like, Oh, beer and wine are fine. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> and in the early days of the church, people used to drink beer and wine. And so I, I decided that was, uh, that was okay. And that worked for me for a couple of years. I was able to feel okay about that. <laughs> I did notice that, right? All <laughs> grain is ordained for the use of man and beasts. Um, well, yeah, when, when they, <laughs> so that's interesting. We can, we can always find the workaround, right? 
when we have these problems. This, this speaks to me. This doesn't speak to me. Um, well, what I found interesting. So when I read that and I did a little bit of research and I didn't want to totally talk about, you know, doctrine and covenants, but I kind of geeked <laughs> no, no, out. I kind of geeked out a little bit. I kind of, people are going to just have to bear with us at the end. So when I looked it up in the book, yes, it's kind of funky language and you have to kind of read through it, but online um, at lds.org, um, when they were talking about it, at the very end, after I read what the uh, Doctrine and Covenants is all about, and they reference you all these places, the, I loved this last paragraph, which I found very modern. Um, and it said at the end, the best course is to completely avoid the substances that the Lord prohibits in the word of wisdom. <laughs> those who have engaged in addictive behaviors can stop and become free from addiction through personal effort, strength from the Lord, help from family members and friends and guidance from church leaders. Anyone can overcome addiction. I felt like that was very modern and very like, you're not going to hell and you're not Mm -hmm. cast out. It felt to me, I'd never heard that or read that. Maybe it's always been there. I haven't really read all of this book, but (laughs) I found like that was hopeful and kind of, um, not as damning as sometimes, you know, the books can be. Um, I haven't read that either, and that's really lovely. Um, and I'm I'm glad I'm glad to know that that's there on the website. Um, that is that is that that's consistent with um, you know where I've landed on the uh, Mormon prohibition on um, on substances. I I think I thought it was so restrictive, and now you know now I don't identify as Mormon anymore. Um, I was but, you know. That. I ironically, you know, I live a Mormon life now. I don't drink. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I see the wisdom and one, you know, they call it the word of wisdom. So you'll notice when you read it, it says there's a couple of things. There's one thing is it, it originally was not a commandment or a requirement. It says, you know, this is um, just some counsel. And then the other thing is it says it's for like the weakest among us. Um, so basically, you know, the idea was that, that there are people who have trouble with substances and, you know, so our recommendation is that, is that you avoid them. Stay away. Right. And I, you know, I don't, I don't do not think that people with addiction issues are weak by any means, but you know, I, I really think that there was some wisdom, um, in that, uh, in that scripture, which is this idea that, you know, some people can, can drink safely and, for those people, it might not be a big deal, but I am one of those people who am, am better off abstaining. And, you know, how cool is it that there are, you know, all kinds of Mormon people like in my family um, who never even have to go through the addiction because they just never went near it in the first place. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, and, and isn't there a scripture that says, um, you know, your body is a temple? I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think there's a yeah. lots of them. And if you're treating your body as a temple, um, then you are you are not pouring substances, you know, and, or sugar, or, mm-hmm. you know, you're not laying on the couch 24 seven, you're taking care of your body and treating it as a temple. And I guess all of those things would fall under that. Yeah. And when I was drinking, I was, I, you know, I like to point out the hypocrisy of people that I would see. I'd say, well, they say I can't drink, but they're drinking all that soda (laughs) or not exercising. Exactly. Use it as an excuse. Well, and it all falls under. It's true though. I I believe that that there is some hypocrisy there. I grew up in a 
pretty fundamental envir- um, religious environment as well, our rules were seemed more arbitrary, actually. Like, there was no dancing. You couldn't go dancing. Oh, and, wow. You, you know, there was no musical instruments allowed in our church building. I mean, just seemingly very arbitrary. But <clears throat> lots of rules as well. But then again, I would always see the hypocrisy and believe me, I used that to justify anything I did. Although I didn't, I didn't really drink until I went to college, but even afterwards, that's how I justified it because, you know, like everybody else is breaking the rules here. Obviously no one's taking this very seriously. (laughs) (laughs) What religion was that, Sandra? I've never been baptized. That religion. Church of Christ. Yeah, <laughs> they would take you. <laughs> Church of Christ. But I'm a really good dancer, so maybe they wouldn't. <laughs> I was only a really good dancer when I drank. Um, uh, so, all right. Well, I, I wanted to get, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. And so, yeah, you, you, I was reading on your blog that you were, don't consider, you considered yourself a rebellious Mormon a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, so you no longer practice are a practicing Mormon. Is that true? Um, that's right. I, I stopped practicing actually a few months before I got sober, oh, which okay. I feel like is very unfair like, <laughs> not to have a normal drinking life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, not that I ever would have, uh, I'm sure. But yes, uh, I, I stopped um, I had a complicated relationship with the church, like aside from the drinking, um, you right. know, jumping through a lot of uh, mental hoops. There was a lot of cognitive dissonance um, because, you know, I'm a, I'm a liberal person and a progressive mm-hmm. person. And a lot of my beliefs were not really in line with the churches, um, which, you know, when looking back, I, I think that that was a lot of the reasons why I wanted to why I did want to drink and escape um, because I really, you know, had trouble accepting the fact that I that it wasn't working for me, um, that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to be able to stay part of this religion. Uh, so it reached a little bit of a breaking point in November, 2015. And, uh, I haven't been back into a church since then, um, except for when I visit my family. Hmm. And, and now I have a question, Tammy, you said you, you know, burned your book of Mormon to shed that identity and, mm-hmm. Um, but don't you guys find that um, it's not so black and white, though? You know, once mm-hmm. it's it's something that you grew up with or something that you did for a long time, um, it's still a part of you in some some way, and it still probably uh, influences your you know your act your daily actions in some way. I would say like the. The me now, I, I, I feel right. bad that I burned that Book of Mormon and not just for guilt. That hat didn't have anything to do with it. It was symbolic. And you're right. right. That person that I am um, is just a seeker. I was religiously confused my whole life. Um, my mm-hmm. dad, you know, was in the seminary to be a priest and my mom um, just kind of stopped taking us to church when we were five. I was constantly seeking, seeking. I still am. So I identify with being a seeker more than being an alcoholic or being a Mormon or being, Mm -hmm. you know, I think a seeker, finally I can land on that word and go, yeah, that's what I am. And that I can appreciate, um, like these doctrine and covenants, I can appreciate them now going, Oh, they want you to be healthy. They don't want you to have tobacco or alcohol or things that are bad for your body. Like that seems pretty simple. 
you know, I can look at it a little bit more objectively than I could when I was obviously in the throes of my own addiction. Right. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I'm going to, since this is a show about, you know, recovery, but it's also a show about creativity. And so I was just curious what type of creative kid you might have been, Sandy. Did you write or do anything back then that has like a place that you could escape to that, that you found like peace and... Yes, absolutely. It was um, creativity and art writing were my things since I was a little girl. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I used to make my little sis. I have four siblings and my sister and I used to put out our own newspaper <laughs> um, where we would draw all the pictures and write all the stories. And then we had a little police beat and we'd, you know, <laughs> deliver it to our so family cute. members. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> In fifth grade, I was voted most likely to be a famous novelist, um, hmm. which was pretty cool. Fifth wow. grade is such Don't a, I love fifth that. grade. <laughs> That's a big deal. It's like 10 years old, fifth grade. It's like, you're not jaded by middle school yet. You're still so optimistic and there's all of this possibility, right? Ten. Right. I would actually write short stories and share them with people. That was probably the last time I ever, you know, shared um, something <laughs> I wrote. I think in middle school, you learn to kind of hide your weirdness. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Survival. <laughs> So what about, so I was always artsy. Yeah. What about through high school? Did you, were you, did you continue that or did you? Yeah, I think I was, I was, I was a dabbler. Um, I took, I took like a clay class and a drawing class, but I wasn't very good at art. Um, but I was always very drawn to it. Um, in high school, I would say I was like music became my thing. Um, I learned how to play guitar when I was, my dad taught me how to play guitar when I was 11. Um, and in high school, I just wanted to be cool. So, you know, I didn't do so much writing or drawing back then, but I, I did play guitar and I wrote songs and I had a band and that was how I expressed <laughs> oh, myself then. <laughs> nice. What was the name of your band? Oh, do you remember? Terrible. Yeah. It's called peel and win. Um, <laughs> and we all hated that name. Like we were all embarrassed to tell people. <laughs> we never came up with a better one though. <laughs> I love that. You're um, bad. We did not ever play a show. <laughs> well, did you, so, so Sandra and I have talked about this. Like, did you ever feel like to be creative, you had to, you know, have, alter your reality like drink or do drugs did you yeah. ever feel like to be yeah. creative yeah that that was a th- uh, about your way in I think that was you know I I think I was really impressionable and really was um I was like very drawn to like rock and roll and alternative and so like all of my musical idols uh were singing about drugs and mm-hmm. overdosing on drugs and I do right. think like I that kind of, I absorbed that. And Mm -hmm. then, uh, you know, I did, like I did, I thought that I didn't so much think I needed to be altered to make music, but I thought that I needed to be unhappy. Mm. Um, like I really thought like I did that my best writing when I was really, you know, depressed or sad or, um, you know, had just come off a breakup or was pining for somebody. And then when I was, you know, when I was happy, I, I didn't write so much. (laughs) Yeah, I, my journals reflect that. 
mm-hmm. all of my journals, as a, especially as a young adult, all reflect that as well. Yeah. Have you gone, you, you go back to read the journals from those oh, days? Oh, I did. Oh. Yeah, I did. <laughs> kind of early in sobriety. Actually, right around the time I started my site, I, I did. I went back through. I was looking for clues. I was just trying to connect the dots, um, you know, and see, how did I get here? What got me to this place, this person that is, you know, an alcoholic or Mm -hmm. a person that's had to stop drinking. Um, So, yeah, I did. They were hard to read. Some of them you couldn't read, actually. They were (laughs) illegible. (laughs) I have some of those, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I look at him. I, I, you know, I wasn't that truthful um, when I was <clears throat> writing. Um, so I wrote a blog for many, many years, and not—I shouldn't say I wasn't truthful. It was a completely edited version of my truth. So when I read that old blog, and it was basically just my kids' stuff and little forays that I would dabble in gardening or being creative, and um, I read them, and I can—I by reading them, I can see the backstory of what I didn't tell. Like I can, mm-hmm. I can read it and go, Oh, I wrote about this because I didn't want to write about that. So I don't even think I have a, something I could go back to and really look at. It's all like in no. code. Yeah. Yeah. That is so interesting. I was really, I was like, I was overly self-aware and overly truthful. And I, part of the reason I haven't gone back to read is cause I know I just wrote, like I wrote so much about, um, about booze and drugs Mm -hmm. and it was I think it would be really boring um (laughs) to read (laughs) I don't know there's something like when I've been going back to read my sobriety series that I would write about it every month of sobriety and in the first seven months you know again I, I don't I was being as honest as I could be and I thought that was really brave, but I was still mm-hmm. so scared to write the truth and yeah. think that people were going to read it or people that I knew were going to read it. It wasn't until I went into the rooms of AA where I learned about rigorous honesty and I went like, yeah, I want that because I've never had that in my life. I've always been yeah. trying to be perfect or try to tell the, tell, you know, not hurt anyone's feelings. Um, but to be totally and completely honest, um, that was new. That was totally new for me. So I write differently now and there's still a few things that I don't touch, you know, like sex and talking about that and my husband, like I keep that (laughs) private. So maybe one day I will write about that, but that I feel like is a little bit off limits because that involves his story, you know, but, um, he's totally fine with me telling mine and we live in a small, very, very small town and in a small community where he works. And I always go, do you worry about what I'm talking? He's like, it's your story. It's not mine. Like, well, it's kind of interlinked, but so you write, you write a blog called sober Mormon. Mm-hmm. And, um, how do you feel about that? Like, do you get nervous to post there or do you, um, how did you, how did that come about? I do. Well, so I have, um, I've been blogging about my deepest, darkest secrets for a long time. Um, before, so before I wrote, uh, before I got sober and started writing this blog, I wrote, um, a different blog about being, a Mormon in an interfaith marriage. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Right after I got married to my husband, um, I, you know, kind of had a, I had a bit of a feminist awakening, um, in getting married. And also, you know, I 
what it was really, I was really scared of being um, a Mormon married to a non-Mormon because I'd never seen that worked out. And so I started looking online for resources, for, you know, examples of people who had done that. And all I found were like statistics about divorce rates um, for interfaith couples. Awesome. <laughs> Which was awesome. So I just I just started a blog and I just I wrote about being um about being a feminist Mormon, about being married to an atheist and I was really, and I, you know, it was a secret at first. Um, I was just writing about my personal struggles, um, but I ended up. Is it an anonymous blog? It was anonymous. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I did. I ended up sharing. Well, actually my, my, somebody in my family ended up finding it, (gasps) um, which was, you know, and feeling very betrayed that I had this, that I had this secret website. (laughs) They were digging. They were digging. They were looking for something. (laughs) Maybe. I think they actually clicked through, through another, like another website. Um, they found like they just stumbled on it. Wow. Um, How'd that feel? They were reading about it. Oh, it felt awful. It felt awful. Yeah, and that... I still, I still think about that when I write, you know, I think like you said, you, you have to consider when you're writing about other, even something I wouldn't think of as writing about other people. Like for right. instance, in that first blog, like I had a lot, I still had a lot of resentment towards my hometown where, you know, there was a lot of Mormons and everybody married really young. And I really, um, you know, didn't, didn't feel good about that. And so I would, I would bash in my hometown and then, um, my family really took that personally, um, which makes sense that they Mm -hmm. would, you know, it was hard for them to read. Um, so, but they, you know, we, we moved past that and it just became a place where I would, you know, write about my, um, you know, my disagreement with, you know, the church on LGBT issues. And, um, it became a a place for me to be creative, but also really work through my feelings about the church. Um, and then, you know, I, I reached a point where that wasn't really something I, you know, I was done. I'd kind of processed Mormonism, um, and was done writing there. And so it was very natural, um, for me to start writing about sobriety. But again, that also started off anonymous. Um, and I really, you know, I couldn't even, I didn't think I would ever share it, um, because it was so personal, but, um, like you said, Tammy, with, you know, your views on, um, writing changing when you went into the rooms, um, with the idea of rigorous honesty for me, as I got sober, I started to realize that my story and my writing could help people. Mm. Um, and I had never, I had always my writing had always been about just working through my issues. Um, and then I started to share, I started to share more like bits and pieces of my story on Instagram and on Facebook and people, you know, I was always got feedback that surprised me from people who I would never expect. And then I started to realize that, you know, maybe, um, maybe this could help people. Maybe this is, you know, a way of being of service. So I got a lot braver about sharing it. Um, and now I don't really worry about it so much. I worry sometimes about my parents, um, because it's, you know, you don't want people, (laughs) your parents to read about their little girl doing all kinds of terrible things, but that's, that's really the only uh, feedback I'd be worried about. Yeah, my mom can barely work her flip phone, so I'm not worried that she's going to read my stuff. She doesn't read anything of mine, so I'm um, maybe I should be worried. Maybe someone's going to show her how. Um, but that's kind of so. That's have you worked all twelve steps, Sandy? If you don't mind me asking. No, I'm 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 working the steps. Okay, me I'm too. In the middle of step four. <gasps> Oh, you just gave me so goosebumps. Intense. It is. Yeah, it's intense. 
It is. I just did the fifth step with my with one of my sponsees, and it was pretty amazing. Aww. It was amazing. I'm on step twelve, um, and it's so interesting how you go along, and just the wisdom that you get right as you're going, and all these things that keep revealing. Like talking to Sandra, who's already done the twelve, and she gives me advice on things. But like kind of having that perspective now, even being. Um, having a little distance from step four, I could like look back at it affectionately when I'm going like, Oh, you're on step <laughs> when you're probably going like, Oh, I'm on step four. <laughs> yeah. Like is swearing a lot on this podcast because step four makes me want to swear. <laughs> yeah. But relief, you'll find relief, right? That's, that's what they promise. Mm-hmm. Um, so you didn't go straight into the rooms, right? No, no. How long did you wait well, till you went in? It's, um, so I had, again, like a little bit of a convoluted journey. I started off in a, I found myself in a, an NA meeting. Um, so, you know, Narcotics Anonymous, another fellowship, um, like about a year before I actually got sober. Um, and it was like truly a case of, um, I'd say my higher power guiding me there um, because I was walking down the street one day. I was really struggling with a craving um, and I was, uh, you know, basically trying to figure out how I could get more drugs. Um, And I walked by a church on my way to the office and all of a sudden the phrase narcotics anonymous popped into my head. I had never even, I have no idea how I knew that that was even a program or a thing. And I went to my office and I thought I could either spend, you know, the rest of this weekend trying to get drugs or I could get some help. Um, and I looked up on my computer, found that there was an NA meeting literally a minute from my office that day at lunch. And I went, um, Mm. and I felt like amazing when I, when I walked out, like I felt like a weight had been lifted. Cause that was, I think really the first point where I had actively sought help for something that I knew had been a problem for me for so long. Mm. Um, And I spent the next while um, sort of in and out of that meeting, but it was really hard for me for a couple, like one, because I wasn't really addressing alcohol. I hadn't really, I wasn't really willing to admit that I had a problem with alcohol. And also um, I couldn't really relate to the people in that, um, in that particular meeting because they had been, you know, through the ringer with drugs Mm -hmm. um, in a way that I just had not been. Um, so I would, I would go and I would get relief and I would know it was a program, but then I would be, I would, I would, you know, convince myself, like I focused on the differences. I would convince myself, you know, I'm, I don't need this. I'm not there yet. And then I'd go back out. Um, so I went round and round with that. Um, and, you know, and really res- you know, I had a counselor who was like, well, why don't you go to AA? You know, you might find more people you relate to there. And I was just like, well, I'm not an alcoholic. <laughs> I just could not, I just could not, I was like, I know I'm an addict because I've been physically addicted to drugs, but I'm not, you know, I was never like drinking every day. Um, I was never like, I never needed to wake up and have a drink in the morning, like to stop the shakes. It just wasn't me. Um, and so I just didn't think I could do it. Um, but you know, eventually, you know, I, you know, I hit my bottom and I, you know, decided I, I needed to stop. And I, I just finally went to an AA meeting because there was more of them. Um, there was more AA meetings than NA meetings. And 
as soon as I walked into the rooms, of course they had a newcomer meeting, um, you know, which I didn't realize was what was happening, but you know, they were, <laughs> they, they were saying all of the things that I needed to hear. Um, and oh, right. They switched the so focus. Much. Yeah. Right. Right. They were talking about, uh, you know, um, and like young people in AA and how, you know, they raise the bottom and you can go in even if, uh, and save yourself years of misery. Um, by, you know, going out and trying controlled drinking and realizing that it doesn't work for you. Um, and so, you know, after one meeting, I knew like it was, it was for me. Um, but I still didn't know I had to go. Like I, I was very resistant to going with any kind of regularity. So I'd go every few weeks, mm -hmm. um, every two weeks, every three weeks, like whenever I felt like I'm just not going to make it without, um, if I don't take action right now. Um, and it wasn't until I think maybe about like six months, I'd been sober for about six or seven months and it was just, it would, it would go, it was hard and then it was easy and it was hard and then it was easy. And somebody, um, who's actually a member of like the, the online group that we're all part of, um, you know, said you, you deserve a sober life that is not, um, miserable. You deserve to, to, for this to not feel, be so hard. Um, right. she, she said, find a meeting, find a meeting that works for you. So I committed to finding a meeting and, you know, started going, um, much more regularly and, you know, got a sponsor and started working the steps. And, um, I'd say that, you know, at that point is really when my, my recovery, um, started to feel solid and I started to find some peace. Yeah. I, yeah, seven months was my kind of, I started figuring out how I could, um, start drinking again mm -hmm. and someone suggested AA and yeah, I think that's, we res I know there's a lot of resistance to it and I'm not here to convince anybody because Sandra has reminded me recently that we just model the solution. So mm -hmm. I get that. And I, I've been writing that out like a mantra, model the solution. That's all I can do is model it, model it, model. And it's hard not to espouse all these things. And clearly we're on mm -hmm. a show talking about this stuff, but it got, it's so simple. I can see that now. Not easy, right? Never easy, mm -hmm. but it is simple. <laughs> and yeah. it, you find such relief and there's such a path. And like I said, now that I'm all the way to 12, I'm like, wow, that that's a, that's amazing how that works. Mm -hmm. And the, and it's taken me a year and a half to get to 12, right? It's not fast. And I wanted to go through it fast. I'm really glad I didn't. And I don't get to stop doing the steps, you know, you continue for the rest of your life. So it's not like there's a period at the end of this and going, yep, done, check off my list. Cause I like to do that, but I'm, I'm glad you went and found that piece, right? That's gold. I'm just so glad that somebody, that somebody, you know, enough people told me to go that I finally, uh, I finally went. Cause I, I don't think it's, I don't know that it's for everybody, but I sure know it's the only thing that has, that worked for me in many years of trying yeah. uh, to stop. <clears throat> I think the biggest piece is to, um, try something different. You know, if, if you are still miserable, if whatever you're doing, um, isn't working and you're still miserable, then try something different. Mm -hmm. And if that means, you know, trying a meeting, then, um, you know, I think that that's a great, I think we just have to stay willing and open and, you know, be more afraid of going back mm -hmm. than, than, than trying the new thing. I also think there's a lot of value to trying, um, 
the thing that you're most resistant to. For sure. Uh, <laughs> yes. yes. Because, you know, there's something in, something happens inside when you, you know, when you, when you say, oh, I'm, I'm willing to do even this thing that I hate. Um, that's mm-hmm. how badly I want to, I want to change. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's something to that. And, you know, for me, um, you know, admitting that I needed help, um, from other people, other humans, um, right. that was a big thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your blog is stunning. You're a fantastic writer. Your latest piece about going to the doctor just oh, killed yes. me. That was so good. Oh, thank you. That actually has a postscript. Does <laughs> it? Yes. Oh, I, had, I had yet another mirror. Not a not a postscript I've written, but um, an in real life postscript. I'm thinking about oh, adding. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I got I got a case of shingles, uh, out of the blue. <laughs> Which is, you know, the chicken pox virus yeah. when it comes back at you very in adulthood. Yeah. Very, 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 very painful. And I went to the doctor and they were like, how bad is the pain? And I was like, I can, you know, I'm fine. Um, ibuprofen. And then a few days later, the pain got really, really bad. Like it felt like it felt like somebody was breaking my ribs. Oh. Um, I, had it on, I had it on my ribs. And I went to the, you know, I called the doctor, um, asked what they could do. They wrote me a prescription. They said, come pick it up. Um, I went, I drove to the pharmacy. It was kind of crazy. My husband was like, call your sponsor. I was like, no, because <laughs> I know what she's going to say. <laughs> and uh, the pharmacy doors, they had closed 15 minutes early. Um it was close to eight o'clock. They closed at seven forty-five, and I was like, "All right, I got it. Interesting. High power. I won't take those oh, drugs. <laughs> wow, not even for this horrible pain. So, oh god, crazy. So, yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. That must be so hard to come, you know, because you're questioning your own sanity. It's like, can mm-hmm. I survive this, or you know, or am I being? Is my is that that old, you know? addicted lizard brain trying to trick mm-hmm. me oh i know it's always the lizard brain <laughs> the pain is just an excuse because i know i can you know convince some people in my life that it that it's okay right wow but yeah. thank you for your compliment about about that piece i appreciate yeah that. it was so good it's really good and i'm sure that we're gonna put a link up to your blog but i'm sure that there's many many people that can identify with that it is, it was just, um, pills were not um, my thing. I, in fact, I don't like to take any kind of um, prescription and even non-prescription medicine, really. And uh, because I just, weirdly enough, never liked the way it made me feel. <laughs> um, now, you know, I did like, uh, I did like illegal drugs. And, um <laughs> So I don't know, go figure, but I think somebody pointed out that there may be a relationship between, um, a lot of people who don't like, like prescription drugs, don't like the being out of control feeling. Um, and I, you know, I think it's cause we're, we're controlling, um, right. like to control the way we feel. Right. And right. everyone else <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> try to, um, so I know that we're, we're running out of time with you, but I wanted to ask you about, um, a, a, like a passion project that you have going. You were talking about writing some essays, yeah. um, and doing a collection. Do you want to share about yeah. that? Yeah, share about that if you're willing to share. Absolutely. It's in the very 
Oh, hold on. I think we oh. lost you a little bit, Sandy. Are you there? Are you there? there you are. There, there you are. Go. go ahead. Sorry, there you are. Hooray. Um, so this project is still in the really early, um, it's in the early phases in terms of what it's going to look like. But the, the gist is I've been writing these essays about Mormonism for so many, so many years. Um, and when I was struggling um, with in, in Mormonism, you know, as being a Mormon who didn't fit in, as being a Mormon who couldn't, you know, who was having trouble with drinking, um, as being with being a Mormon who was, you know, in love with a non-Mormon, I desperately wanted to find um, somebody who had been through this before. Um, and so mm-hmm. I would devour, um, you know, Mormon um like memoirs, but right. none of them quite told my story. They were usually just like exit narratives. Like I, you know, I mm. was Mormon and then I discovered it was a lie and then I left. Um, right. and you know, for me, it's, it was much, much, much more complicated. Um, so I, you know, a lot of why I started writing is cause I wanted, I, I wanted to write the story. If I couldn't find somebody to tell, you know, telling my story, I wanted to write it down. And, uh, so I've, I've decided I'd like to, you know, compile them. I don't know if it's going to be a collection of essays or, or a memoir about, you know, my journey through Mormonism, but it's going to be something. Um, and I've got a couple of, I've got, a, you know, a couple of chapters and, um, I'm hoping to, I don't know if it'll be self-published or if I'll submit it for publication, but it's going to be a book. That's, uh, we're going to make the, the, you're going to be a, a famous author. You're naming it. Oh, I love yeah. it. I'm true. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that, I think that, that would be such an important piece of work for a lot of people because, yeah. you know, you know, you're not the only one that's, that's, that's shared your own thoughts. Mm-hmm. Never. There are other Mormons out there. I'm certain that, yeah. that, that, that your writing would resonate with. Thank you. I and hope so. A great writer. So I'm so I hope glad if there's some 21 year old Mormon girl out there who's like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> that she right. knows she's not the only one. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, <laughs> I just keep thinking, I'm like, Sandy, my family's all from Arizona and my husband's an atheist. Like we have so much in common. Yes. Oh, please write that great. book. Please write I that book. My family was in Arizona. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think that, um, write what, what, write what you were looking for, right? Mm-hmm. Write what you want to read. That's what they say in all the writing books, you know, write what you, what you would like to read. I would I like, like to read that. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're towards the end, Sandy. Um, and thank you for coming on the show. We so yes, appreciate thank it. You. Yeah. And, um, we end the show with, um, our unruffled toolbox, which, um, for those who are new and listening, um, unruffled just means, um, calm and not agitated. And that's kind of how we want to be right in our life now without alcohol. And this toolbox can also be a creative toolbox. So too, something that, you know, we, we use creativity to help us with our recovery and it sounds like writing for you fits the bill. And so we want to ask you to share your three favorite things, um, that are in your unruffled toolbox with our listeners. Sure. I would be happy to. And I, I have to say, I love this part of your podcast and I have taken notes, started following some new Instagram accounts, um, bought a deck of tarot cards. (gasps) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) All kinds of things. Um, have not checked out ritual. Oh, please do. It'll happen. (laughs) Yeah. You're, Um, You're welcome when you do. 
Okay, so what's your first thing on your list? Um, my first thing on my list is it's it's exercise, um, and for me it's running. But I unfortunately have had to broaden it to include other forms of exercise as I have been dealing with some annoying overuse injuries. Um, so swimming, I uh, finally gave in and I'm to my resistance to yoga, I've been doing a little bit of yoga. Um, but for me, you know, in early recovery, I needed to, I had so much anxiety, um, and so much extra energy and so much, um, like this will to self-destruct, uh, that for me, nothing really, um, nothing really worked to get rid of it besides, besides, you know, sweating, um, getting outside, uh, moving around. So that has been, by far like the most consistent, uh, besides, you know, besides my recovery program and the 12 steps, that is, uh, the thing that I try, you know, I don't do it every single day, but I try to do it, you know, five times a week. And I notice, uh, when I don't, that I'm decidedly more crazy and (laughs) ungrounded. So that's my biggest. I'm totally with you on that one as well. Yeah. Yes. And the occasional sprinting like you've yes. been doing, Sandra, mm-hmm. that feels so good. It does. It feels so good. And okay, then next? next, my second one is, and this is, I feel like it's probably real basic, but it's new to me. Um, and that is meditation. Hmm. I have been super resistant to meditation. Um, my husband, who is not in recovery, not spiritual, um, he's been meditating for years and been telling me to meditate for years. Oh, I love it. I'm like, no, that's resist, resist, resist. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I got enough messages from the universe that I should be meditating though. Uh, and have been feeling like a little bit ungrounded, um, not ungrounded. I've been, I've been getting in my head lately about future. Um, you know, what, what's, what's, what are things going to look like? What's my job going to look like? What's my uh, family going to look like? All of these things. Um, and you know, I realized I needed to quiet my mind. So I use the headspace app. Mm. Um, I have meditated consistently for 18 days, nice. the last 18 days. Wow. And, uh, it's really, I don't know that it's made a difference in my life, but, um, I'm really enjoying it. Like, it's just really great to have something that's like 10 to 15 minutes that, um, I can't screw up. I just sit there and, you know, sometimes my, my people, I know people and what I had a hard time with was turning, you know, turning my mind off. But like the guided meditations that I use have, you know, say like, that's not the point. The point is just to, you know, keep coming back, like keep coming back. Like they say in the rooms, um, keep coming back to the meditation practice and, um, don't resist, uh, you know, if your mind is wandering, don't resist that. Just keep, um, just keep coming and trying it. And so I've gotten a lot of peace um for at least 15 minutes a day for the last 18 I love days. it. Yeah, because I think even the even people that have been meditating for you know decades their mind still wonders. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's called a practice because you just keep practicing coming back to your center or your breath or whatever you're coming back to. 
so I yeah. struggle with this Sandy a lot. And so on, you're going to be ready to go on step 11. If you got this down now, my husband does transcendental meditation and has done it for years. And of course, when I was telling him how I was doing meditation, he was like, well, I don't think you're doing it right. I'm like, I don't think you're allowed to say that actually. No. So there period. Um, no. (laughs) Oh yes, he is. Um, so, okay. So thank you for sharing that. That, that makes, again, I have not meditated in a few days. I need to, I keep trying, I keep listening to people who talk about the benefits of it and I just resist it as well. So I need to really sink into it. So thanks for sharing that. What? My way in with that was, um, yeah, tell me. somebody actually recommended a podcast. It's called 10% Happier. Yes. Oh, yeah. Dan, Dan. They didn't tell me it was a meditation podcast. I just thought it was going to make me happier. <laughs> and so I went in completely, you know, um, not guarded at all, not knowing what to expect. And then I was like, oh, well, this is just all about meditation. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's by the journalist, right? Dan. Uh, Dan Harris. Harris. Harris, that's Harris right. right. He wrote the book. Yeah, because okay. he had an anxiety attack on air. Okay, that's good. That is a way in because yeah. I've been wanting to read that book and have not made the time for that. So you know what? I might mm-hmm. listen to a podcast in the studio. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. I really appreciate sure, that. Welcome. I'm sure our listeners will like that too. All right, what's number three? Number three, I so I was mulling this over before our call and I struggled with this one, um, but I I landed on an answer and I and I felt solidified in it when I, um, when I was looking at, you know, you sent out a little email, um, with some prompts and you, you, I think you mentioned you, the definition of unruffled. Mm-hmm. So what is it? It's calm without agitation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that solidified this one for me. And for me right now, it is, um, reading fiction. Hmm. And this is, I think it's worth mentioning, um, because I, like I was a book lover growing up. Um, I loved it so much. And, but when I was, when I was, things got really bad with my drinking and my anxiety. Um, I just, I couldn't read, like I couldn't sit, I didn't have the bandwidth to sit down and read mm-hmm. a book. And that. now I can. Um, and the truth is like, I still, like, I need an escape in my life. Um, you know, I need something that is going to turn my brain off. And reading fiction is what does it for me um, when, you know, when nothing else works and like just losing myself in a, in a really, you know, wonderfully written or not so wonderfully written, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Look, Aww, and I, like I cannot that. get on board with all the, this, I know there's a lot of um, like nonfiction, great nonfiction and memoirs and self-help stuff and I, I buy all that stuff but it just doesn't it doesn't take me away in the same way that a good story does yeah you're right Nonfiction sometimes feels like work right because you're, yeah. you're <laughs> taking notes and things like that but right fiction is just it's just delightful it's just there for the joy of it I and it. I will say I haven't I haven't done this but one um in terms of concrete toolbox uh ideas I've been following um Aiden Donnelly Rowley on Uh Instagram and I know you guys have mentioned her on this podcast before and she's an author but you know she's always posting pictures of stacks of books which oh right she's a huge reader yeah 
And I have been, you know, adding a lot of those to my list to read this summer. Um, and so I'm hoping that I'll get through some of those and I'm looking forward to it. Oh, good. So that's a great toolbox items. I like all of that. You're going to, you just helped me with Mm -hmm. the meditation. Um, the exercise, I'm still going to watch people exercise, um, but meditation, that's more my speed. <laughs> I think I can sign on for that. Oh, well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day yes. and sharing thank part you of your story with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was lovely to chat with you guys. Yeah. And um, yeah, well, I hope our listeners love meeting you and um, we'll be talking to you soon, I'm sure. Yeah, get ready to yes, hear a whole lot about Mormonism, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> More yes, than we'll, to know. We'll be posting all of the Sandy's information, the link to her blog, and all of that in the show notes. Yeah. So need some of her work. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks, Sandy. Have a great day. You too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by NMMD. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designer Chris Aguirre. Thanks for listening.